Hello and welcome into the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and it is finally February. It felt like January just lasted forever. It felt like that month would never end. Just ever. Which is weird, because I think I mentioned this on the last show. It felt like November and December of 2019 just blew by. And January of 2020 was a crawl. Like, the conference championship games felt like they happened forever ago. But it was only two weeks. It's only ever two weeks between them and the Super Bowl. It felt way longer this year. It felt way longer. But that's that's a topic of the past. Let's let's jump right into what I thought about this year's Super Bowl. I think it was pretty good. I've seen much worse. Last year, 2014 was pretty terrible. At least there was some offense in that one from from one team. But there's also been much, much better. Broncos-Panthers comes to mind. Unfortunately, Patriots-Seahawks was a very good Super Bowl. I may not be a huge fan of the outcome, but let's be real. It was a good game. It was a very good game. This one falls somewhere in the middle of those two extremes of... Super Bowls within recent memory. It's not as bad as last year's, but it's not as good as, say, Patriots Seahawks in 2015. Like, it's not even close to to Super Bowl 49. And I don't think anyone would really disagree with that. That this wasn't an amazing Super Bowl, but it wasn't terrible the the end of the fourth quarter was great when the Chiefs comeback started that was that was fun to watch like even though he didn't beat Brady to do it this felt like the real passing of the torch to Patrick Mahomes he didn't necessarily beat Brady to do it but Let's be honest, like, he had three different games where double-digit comebacks were involved in the playoffs. Against the Houstons, or against the Houstons, against the Texans, against the Titans, and in the Super Bowl against the 49ers. Three different double-digit comebacks of varying point value. The one, the one against the Texans was obviously the most ridiculous because that was a 24-point deficit in a single quarter as opposed to 10. But still really impressive, and it's been part of the storyline of the entire playoffs. Like, a new era of the NFL is here. Breeze is coming up more and more in discussions of getting a dump truck of money from ESPN to uh, take Booger McFarland's place in the Monday Night Football booth. Please let that happen. Because <laughs> with Booger, Monday Night Football is unwatchable. So please let Drew Brees have that job. I, mean, I know ESPN wants him. Drew, 
take it. They are offering you a lot of money. The Saints will be fine without you. I know you want to win one more, but take it. You will be you will be loved by all football fans if you get Booger McFarlane off of the Monday night broadcast. But Breeze keeps coming up. The Chargers have totally ghosted Phillip Rivers, so who knows what, what he's going to do next year, whether he's going to play or if he's just going to retire, because he's obviously not playing with the Chargers. It's just a matter of will another team take him. Tom Brady probably, thanks to that um, Hulu commercial where he just trolled everyone with the Twitter picture and it turned out to be for a Hulu commercial, he's probably coming back. He's probably got one more year before he's done. Because uh, the rumors are the Patriots might not keep him around. I've I've heard, I just started to hear some rumblings today some theories going around. I'm taking these with a massive grain of salt because I also heard, I think everyone's heard the reports of 300 million to keep Brady in new England or 30 million. I don't think it was 300 of, of $30 million or no, I think it was 300 million, just an absolutely ridiculous amount of money to keep Brady in new England. And then, but I've heard some rumblings that the Niners would trade Jimmy Garoppolo to the Patriots, kind of booting Tom Brady and saying Garoppolo is our guy for the next however long he has in his career. And Brady goes to San Francisco. And Pat McAfee had an interesting take on this. Tom Brady is from the Bay Area. So I don't know how much credence I want to give to what are basically just rumors and speculation. But it is worth mentioning that, hey, this is a possibility if he doesn't stick around in New England because it's a not a very well-kept secret that Belichick wanted Jimmy Garoppolo to take over a couple years ago because he is a machine. He just doesn't care if, if he doesn't think Brady has it anymore and he wants to start grooming the replacement who better than to bring in the guy he originally wanted to be the replacement before Kraft stepped in and traded him. So I think... I think it could happen. I I only have a very little amount of confidence in that possibility happening, but it's not so outrageous that I'm just going to shoot it down immediately and say, no, this isn't happening. This could happen. I just don't think it will. And really, if, if that fourth quarter proves anything is that Jimmy Garoppolo may not be the guy. It seems like right now he can only really 
play with a lead in in big games. I know he's he's led comebacks and game winning drives, but in the Super Bowl, th- this was his first shot at it, and he looked bad in the fourth quarter. After that Chiefs comeback started, he looked bad. Terrible overthrow on that on that bomb to Sanders. Like Sanders, if that w- if that throw was on target, Sanders would have caught it, and the Chiefs' defense would not have caught him. That would have been a touchdown. And that would have pushed the the Kansas City lead back up. Or the the Niners lead back up. But he missed. And I'm and then next play it just gets it just gets swatted and uh Chiefs have the ball. And they score another touchdown and that's pretty much game. So yeah, I I don't know how much confidence I have in Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback right now. I know that's hardcore recency bias because he looked good for the first three quarters of that game. He looked really bad in the fourth, though, when the pressure was really on. And I think he'll still be a good quarterback, but that game proved how much better Patrick Mahomes is. Right now, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. Lamar won the MVP, but he he earned the title of MVP because he did a whole lot with lesser receivers than what Patrick Mahomes had. But right now, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. And he was Super Bowl MVP. I don't know necessarily how deserved that was because he did play pretty poorly in the first three quarters. And Williams made a lot of the big plays to keep the Chiefs in it. But when you score 21 points in just a few minutes, your quarterback's going to get a lot of credit for that. And I don't necessarily have any problem with, with him winning Super Bowl MVP because really, the NFL has has an MVP just for the championship game, but it should also apply to the entire playoffs. It should be a playoff MVP. And if you want to call that trophy the playoff MVP, that absolutely has to go to Patrick Mahomes. Because overall, his performance over the course of the entire playoffs was incredible. And even though Brady wasn't directly involved in anything Patrick Mahomes did in the playoffs... This was a passing of the torch. This was a passing of the torch from Tom Brady to Patrick Mahomes because the Chiefs did win in Foxborough in the regular season and now they're Super Bowl champions. So, can you call it that? Not technically, but at the same time, I'm going to. That was... That was Patrick Mahomes taking up the mantle of the guy in the NFL. It's been a storyline the entire playoffs, and and really, people didn't notice it right away, but it's been the storyline of the entire season that we're on the cusp of a new era in 
the NFL with all these got all these older quarterbacks about to retire like Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, Tom Brady, Eli already did. Eli already confirmed it. Brees, Rivers and Brady. Well, Brady's coming back because of that troll epic level troll job of a Hulu ad. Brady is coming back. But Brees and Rivers no one really knows yet. Especially with all the rumors that ESPN wants to hire Breeze to be the new analyst on Monday night. And I would really like it if he would take that job. Because it would make Monday Night Football much more watchable. But overall, I think this was this was a really good Super Bowl. Like, don't get me wrong. It wasn't as good as some of the others in recent memory. But Patrick Mahomes will get a few more. He's he's going to win at least two or three more before he retires. I have no problem predicting that right now. The Patrick Mahomes, before he is done playing football, should have at least three Super Bowl championships to his name. Probably four or five, if we're being really honest. Because he's the next guy. It's him and Lamar Jackson are going to be fighting over the AFC for years to come. Ravens Chiefs will probably be the AFC championship game many, many, many times over the next, say, 15 years. And those two are going to go to war over the course of their careers. So like this is this is a new era of the NFL. And both of your big quarterbacks are under 25. A new era has begun and we witnessed it happen on Sunday night in Super Bowl 54 where one of the two faces claimed his first championship. So buckle up people cuz the next few years are going to be insane because these guys still have plenty of time left before they even think about dropping off. Barring any major injuries, obviously, but Patrick Mahomes seems relatively durable because people forgot he jacked up his knee pretty bad this season. And shout out to the team doctor who said... No, you don't need surgery. You just need to rest it a couple weeks. And he was right because the Chiefs are Super Bowl champions. And if if he had gotten that surgery, the Chiefs probably don't. They probably still win the AFC West because the AFC West was pretty bad this year. But they probably aren't the two. They're probably the three, maybe the four. And they're the one, if everything else plays out the same, they're the ones meeting the Titans in the first round. And who knows what would have happened then. If Patrick Mahomes, like that's going to be 
the what if theory crafting for a while. Like, what if Patrick Mahomes did have to have surgery on his knee this year, very early in the season? But if he if he went through with it and he was out the rest of the year or for longer than he was, what would the story of this season have been? Probably would have been a lot different. Probably would have been a whole lot different because a lot of things came down to that that Chiefs game at the end of the season against the Chargers. So who knows? But that, whoever, the, the team medical staff, like, shout out to them for being smart enough to say, no, this isn't bad enough that you need surgery. Just don't play for a couple weeks and don't do anything stupid and you'll be fine. So props to them because uh, they probably deserve a lot of credit for the Super Bowl because they also would have been the people who helped him rehab it. This was an interesting season in the NFL. The, the Chiefs will obviously be back. I think that I think they're probably odds-on favorites to repeat next year because they're not losing a lot of talent. Mahomes is going to be 25 come the next Super Bowl. Yeah, they they could be right back in this thing next year. I don't know how long it'll take people to turn on them. But right now, they're not the villains. They might be soon. Well, it's always the bandwagoners. It's the bandwagoners who have never been to Missouri. Once they jump ship, oh, it's going to be bad. I hope that doesn't happen. Because I do like Patrick Mahomes. But it's a very real possibility because it's sports and... People like to bandwagon hop. It drives me insane, but it is a thing that happens. So for real Chiefs fans who have stuck by the team through all the awful, you guys are great. Congrats to you. And I hope the Ravens meet you in the AFC championship game next year, because that's what I wanted this year. And next year, it'll probably only be even more epic. So that's what I got for the NFL. And next up, some college basketball. It got right back to the crazy over the weekend. We'll get into that. Don't you worry here on the mashup. And we are moving on over to some college basketball. Last week, things were relatively stable. What a shock in this season. That did not hold at all. Over the weekend, multiple top top teams, is in the Big East in particular, lost at home to unranked competition. Two of those teams who lost at home were in the top ten. Xavier beat Seton Hall, Creighton beat Villanova, and then Providence beat number 16 Butler. All three of those games were road wins. The Big East is insane. 
the Big East is really good this year. And, really, I'm not surprised. It is a conference built on basketball. It is the only one in the country that is built on basketball. And what a shock, they're really good at it. They are really, really good at it. The Big 12 is hanging around. Big 12 is reasonably good this year. The Big 10, the Big 10 and the Big East are the two best. Big 12 is right behind them. The SEC is pretty good. They're about level with the Big 12. And the ACC is god-awful. Never thought those words would come out of my mouth that the ACC is not good this year. They, in reality, have three really good teams this year. Virginia could very well miss the tournament. Defending national champions Virginia could very well miss the tournament this year. Now, don't get me wrong. They've lost, they lost a lot of talent from last year's team. And they're still fourth in the ACC. And if they do reasonably well at the ACC tournament, they could probably get in. But that's still four from the ACC. Because Syracuse, probably not getting in. Pitt, probably not getting in. Virginia Tech, probably not. Boston College, definitely not. NC State, definitely not. Clemson, North North Dakota, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, UNC, Miami, Wake. They aren't getting in. I'm sorry, fans of those teams. They are not getting in. Because there is a significant drop-off between third in Duke, who is 8-2 in conference, and 18-3 and overall, and fifth. Syracuse is 6-5 and five in conference play. And they're only two spots below Duke. They're 13-9 overall. Most of the conference, except the that bottom four, is over 500 overall because they still play in a reasonably good conference and they're decent enough teams, but UNC's 10 and 12. Oof, that one, that one really hurts. They're 10 and 12 and 3 and 8 in the ACC, and they are seven games back of Louisville. Man. People knew going in this year that UNC would be kind of down. I don't think they expected bottom three in the ACC down. Because over the weekend, Cole Anthony came back and they had a decent enough game against Boston College, if you want to call it that. It was a pretty embarrassing final sequence where they lost to the Eagles, another not-so-great team of the ACC. But they just got embarrassed. They only lost by six, but really they got embarrassed by Florida State. Because <laughs> even with Cole Anthony, he's the only guy who can score. He only picked up 16 points. He's not, I mean, that's that's reasonably good, but he was, he was 5 of 22 from the floor. 
he was taking most of the shots. And he missed a whole lot of them. And Florida State was clearly the better team. Because UNC's offense, even with Cole Anthony, is anemic. Because he accounted for over a quarter of their points. One guy. Now, normally, that can happen in a game of basketball. But it probably shouldn't happen too often. That one guy is doing all doing the majority of your scoring and no one else can really do anything because the rest of the team didn't do a whole lot. Only two other guys in double figures. Only one of them, a starter. The rest of the starters next closest after, after leaky black who had 10 on four of 10 shooting. is Armando Baycott. Baycott had six. Brooks and Platek both had five. Keeling coming off the bench had 14. And the other guy who scored off the bench is Pierce, who had three. Congratulations, you got 17 points from your bench. Woo. For comparison, Florida State got 25 points from their bench. And their scoring was much more balanced. 12, 8, 6, 14, 14, 2, 2, and 7. That's a little more balanced. Your good guys scored a lot of points. Your role players filled in the gaps. With with UNC, nobody else really picked up their weight. Because it's just not a balanced offense. And all their shooting spreads are absolutely terrible. Baycott went two for three. Platek went two for six. Everyone else is 50% or lower. Brooks shot 25. Anthony shot under 25. Black shot just under 50. Pierce was awful. So their shooting efficiency was really bad. They all took way too many shots, especially Anthony. 5 of 22. That's just inexcusable for a player who's supposed to be good. And UNC's just god-awful this year. I'm enjoying it. I don't really like them, but they're one of college basketball's blue bloods. They shouldn't be this bad. This is the worst I've ever seen a UNC team. Literally ever. I've never seen a UNC team this awful. They already have more losses than they've had in a season in the past, like, eight years, I think is how far back I went. And most, and the most those teams lost was 11 total. And that includes them losing in the tournament. And I don't think they won the ACC tournament those years either, so there's a couple extra losses in there. A couple extra wins because they... They made tournament runs, but this is going to be the worst the worst record UNC's had in a very, very long time. 
And I mean, part of this comes back to Roy because he wasn't able to recruit a good class for this year. He has Cole Anthony, but shooting five of 22 isn't going to do it. It's just not. But hey, there's there are plenty of way better teams in college basketball that will make this this stretch run between now and March Madness much more interesting. Like keep your eyes on the Big East and the Big 10. You'll enjoy yourself a lot more than if you try to watch the ACC cuz really that's a three-team race. Those three teams are the only ones who are going to be able to do anything in the tournament. And really, considering the competition they're just kind of beating up on in the ACC. And even then, like, if Florida State were good, they should beat UNC at home by more than six. They have a really good squad this year, but uh, it's a little questionable because they're not... They're not really playing good competition in conference. No, no one in the ACC is because everyone's terrible. So it's inflating the records of the good teams, which is the exact opposite of the big East and the big 10, which are just cannibalizing themselves. But they have like the, the wooden award player is probably going to come out of one of those two conferences. It's going to be Luca Garza or Marcus Howard. Like those are those are my two picks for the Wooden Award right now. And really, Iowa's probably going to do more overall this season than Marquette because I think they're a little bit better. But individual player, it's going to come down to the two of them. And Iowa's been doing. Iowa's been doing okay this year in in a pretty stacked Big Ten. Like they've they've kind of separated out from the pack a little bit. And hey, I'm I'm all here for it. Make make the Big Ten look good. Makes makes things more interesting than than just having the same few teams over and over and over again. It was it was looking pretty bad at the start of the last decade. With just blue blood after blue blood, and and now in more recent years, it's it's shaken up a little bit, which is like I said, a good thing. College basketball discovered parity. I think this year they uh, got a little bit of an overdose of it because now they're they're trying too hard to prove everyone's good, and when everyone's good, that means no one's really great. But it makes it makes the tournament much more interesting because I am I don't know if I'm going to have a paper bracket this year because all my friends I normally do bracket challenges with we we tend to do them online. But if I if I were to have a paper bracket this year I I would be prepared to burn it after the first window on Thursday like. By the time the second window of games on Thursday is over, everyone's brackets are going to be trash. <laughs> because 
I don't even have to see it to know there are going to be upsets left and right the first four hours of games. Because they play four games in a block. So that's that's eight games within those first two sets. 16 teams. That's a quarter of the field. And it's going to be wrecked by the time the first two sets of games are, are over on Thursday. If you survive the first window on Thursday, you probably have a pretty good bracket. If you survive the second window on Thursday, if there is money involved in your bracket pool, everyone may as well just give it to you right then because you're probably going to win the whole thing. Because you are either very good at guessing or you have watched so much college basketball this year that you just knew where the upsets were going to fall in a season of total unpredictability. So welcome to center stage college basketball because for the next two months, the center stage of the sports world belongs to you. The NHL and NBA try to pretend like this time of year is theirs. No, this, this time of year belongs to college basketball. And I love it because college basketball is probably, probably my favorite. I, I do like it better than the NBA. And this is its, this is its golden prime time right after the Super Bowl where the, the eyes of the sports world shift. And I'll be right here leading that charge that, hey, college basketball is good. And if you don't watch it, you probably should start. Because you'll get a lot more enjoyment when these really good players go to the NBA and you know more about them. So, yeah, I'm like, rest of this week, probably going to be more than a few, more than a few upsets coming the rest of this week. Because, let's see, tonight in, tonight in top 25 action, not a whole lot in the way of potential upsets. Rutgers could beat Maryland at Maryland, but I don't know because they've kind of found their stride. As far as tomorrow, Villanova plays Butler. That's going to be nuts. Seton Hall is at Georgetown. That could very well be an upset. Georgetown also kind of getting into the groove of things. Everyone else... They're probably fine. Iowa at Purdue, they'll win. Iowa State at West Virginia. West Virginia's winning that one. Wake at Louisville, easy win for the Birds. And LSU at Vanderbilt, easy win for the Tigers. Thursday, yeah, no big top 25 games on Thursday. Maryland-Illinois on Friday, that could be interesting because Illinois is on a bit of a roll. There was a bit of a coach fight over the weekend between them and Iowa. Because <laughs> things get a little crazy when it comes to basketball in the Big Ten. But for the most part, I think just looking at the schedule for the rest of the week, overall I think this will be a pretty calm week, at least for the top 25. For the Big East, you never know. Because the Big East is nuts. The Big East likes to uh, remind everyone that they are the the true basketball conference sometimes. 
and Villanova and Butler tomorrow night should be a really good game. Like that should be a really good game. That's two good teams that are trying to prove that are trying to prove they're uh, they're worthy of their spot in the rankings. But that's all I got for college basketball. They they are probably going to take center stage on this show for the next two months because it's probably the primary sport that draws my interest um, until tournament time hits. And then obviously NBA and NHL will take over. It'll be mostly esports over the summer. And then we'll just, and around and around we go in the cycle of sports news. But that's it for college basketball. Up next, getting staying indoors but getting much colder and switching it over to the NHL. It's hockey time here on the mashup. And now it's time to switch things up again. We are staying indoors, but we are talking some NHL. Probably my other favorite of the major North American sports that include pro and college. It's, it's right there with college basketball for me. I love hockey. I love hockey so much. And this season has, other than my own team occasionally disappointing me, overall this season has not disappointed, really. The Oilers are finally realizing they have the best player in the world on their team and are playing pretty well. They are second place in their division and poised to actually make the playoffs for the first time with a good team in a long time. After years of just getting the number one draft, the the number one draft picked and blowing it. Good on you, Edmonton. You finally realized, hey, we have Connor McDavid. We should probably be winning things. And they did. They have started winning things. Yay for them. But the real storyline with them right now is how insanely interesting the Battle of Alberta has gotten this year. Because in recent years, both the Oilers and the Flames were terrible. Or if one was okay, the other was awful. Or they've just both been bad. And for a few years, they were both near the bottom of the Western Conference and near the bottom of the NHL overall. But that has changed. That is definitely not the case anymore, as they are both currently firmly in playoff position. Edmonton's second in the division. Calgary is right on the tail of Vegas for the third spot in the division and currently holding the first wild card in the West, which I think they have a reasonably secure hold on. At least a wild card spot since Arizona is a point behind them, but Chicago is four points behind them, and the West starts to fall off a little bit after that. But I do not want this current standing in the Western Conference. The Central doesn't bother me that much. That's that has no bearing on what happens between Edmonton, Vegas, and Calgary. I want Vegas to drop. I don't I don't want them to miss the playoffs. I think they're a good enough team that they should. I want them to swap places with Calgary. 
so you get Edmonton versus Calgary in the first round of the playoffs rather than hoping that the Flames beat the Canucks and the Oilers beat the Golden Knights so they can meet in the second round of the playoffs. I don't want that. I want Edmonton versus Calgary in the first round so it is guaranteed to happen. Because for the past month-ish, this has been a really interesting storyline. Because about a month ago, these two teams played. Now, they are rivals. They are both in playoff spots. It got a little heated between Zach Cassian and Brady Tuchuk. And of course, as a Tuchuk, he's kind of a rat. And is there to get under people's skin, not so much for his scoring ability. He's just there to be an obnoxious little pest. Which he did. He hit Zach Cassian. Nothing too much came of it. A couple weeks later, they played again. Those two players were out on the ice at the same time, and what a shock, they started fighting. It didn't really boil over until the next time after that that they played. It devolved into a full-blown line brawl, including the goalies, including Mike Smith and Cam Talbot, who previously played for the other team. There's a lot of storylines here, and those two met at center ice, dropped their equipment, threw their helmets aside, and started beating each other up. It was great. It's so rare that goalies get involved in fights in, at all in the NHL, let alone fight each other in the NHL. And it was great. Every guy on the ice was fighting someone else. And I want this to be a playoff series. Because a few years ago, a series much like this one is what sealed hockey's hooks in me forever. It was an Eastern Conference series, but in the 2012 playoffs, I've talked about this story many times, but here we go again. In the 2012 playoffs, the Penguins met the Flyers. They had been fighting for, they had been jockeying for second in the division, really, all season long, because the Rangers were just really good that year. They had been jockeying for second in what at the time was the Atlantic division. They met, and towards the end of the season, tensions really started to boil over. There were yelling coaches. There were fights. It was great. And then the playoffs started, and every game was absolutely insane. Because until game six, whoever scored first lost. And a lot of those games, other than... Really, game five, those games were very high scoring because everyone was taking so many penalties. There was a lot of power play in that series and a lot of shorthanded goals. So, I want more of it. I want so much more of that to happen with Edmonton and Calgary. Obviously, it's not the same rosters, but I think you'll get a similar result. Where not only are they going to be just straight up intense hockey games, 
there will be really intense hockey games because the game itself will be really hotly contested, but there will also be a lot of fighting going on. Because right now, these two teams do not like each other. At all. And I'm really excited for the possibility of them meeting in the playoffs. So, Vegas, Calgary, get it together. Vegas, just lose a couple more games than you plan to lose. And Calgary, start winning just a little bit more. So you can take the three, and Vegas can take the first wild card. All you two have to do is swap places. Do it for the good of the NHL. Because it will make so many more fans. I know those teams are far enough west that it'll be hard to watch on East Coast time, but I don't care. This needs to happen. These two teams need to meet in the playoffs, they need to kill each other, and it's going to be great. That needs to happen. Hockey gods, please give us that Oilers-Flames matchup in the first round. I really want it. Anyway, there are other storylines in the NHL. The currently first-place team in the West, the Washington Capitals, first-place team in the East, they are first in their division and first overall in the conference. And they're... That game on Sunday against the Penguins didn't really help their case, but they are starting the process of pulling away in the Metropolitan Division. And right now, for them, it is a tale of two storylines. Alex Ovechkin and the sudden realization by all of the hockey-watching world that he could conceivably catch and pass Wayne Gretzky for all-time goals. Right now, he's... I want to say he's sitting at 695 overall. I will double-check that. But he is... Just recently, he hit 694. I think he... And that is 200 off of Gretzky. So he is very close. NHL career, 695 goals. Which means he is 199 short of Wayne Gretzky. At 34 years old, and at the pace he's been scoring for most of his career, people are starting to realize he could very, very reasonably catch and pass Wayne Gretzky within the next couple years. Like, he would have to... I don't know... I think his pace for this year is somewhere in the 50s. So that would put him... just a hair over 700 total. So he would only need about 180 more after that which uh, assuming assuming he finishes with this season with 714 goals total just to make the math easy he would need 180 to hit that by the time he's 40 he would have to score 45 goals a year 
No. Be less than that. I don't know the math, but he would have to, he, it was, it is well within his scoring. If, if he needed 180, he would need to score 36 goals over a year, over the next five years. If he finish, assuming he finishes this season with 714, he could very well finish with more than that. But that just goes to show the, at least for him, relatively easy scoring pace he needs to maintain by the time he's 40. Because he's going to turn 35 right before next season starts. So he'll have, he'll have five years. He could very easily do that. The other big storyline for the Caps is Braden Holtby has fallen off a cliff. He is the reason they have lost more than a few games recently. And it's been, it's been not great. They, they started, they started Samson off, Samson off on Sunday against the Penguins. And Murray was kind of the reason the uh, the Penguins won, so it was a, a battle of the goalies there. Because, yeah, Samsonov played in goal, and he did reasonably well. 29 saves on 33 shots against the Penguins in what is essentially probably your tryout to be the primary starter. So yeah, he had a, he had a reasonably good game. Holtby has kind of been falling apart. The, the big one that everyone really noticed it was against the predators where the caps probably should have won that game, but they didn't. And it was just, it was just not a, a great performance for the previously very good goalie for the Washington Capitals. Now, I don't know if Samsonov is the guy, but, and they shouldn't trade Holtby just yet because I don't think he's completely washed, but he needs to fix whatever is wrong with his goalie play if the Caps want to do anything significant in the playoffs this year because now that they've already gotten a taste of championship glory and they took a year off, they want it back. I would too. But with the way he's been playing lately, Holtby is not the guy who's going to give that to them. So I don't know what the Caps need to do to get his head right again. But if you're a Caps fan, I'd be a little concerned that coming down the stretch of the season, your goalie is getting a little shaky. And right now you're poised to play the Islanders with your old coach in charge. The guy who got screwed over by the Caps after he won them a Stanley Cup because they didn't want to pay him. 
and he went to the Islanders, and he turned them into a pretty legit team. Because the Islanders don't really have a whole lot of blow-your-mind talent. They just don't. But Boudreaux's always been able to get the best out of what he has. Or not Boost Boudreaux, Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz has been a guy who can get the best out of what he has. And he's been doing great things on Long Island since he took over. Now, if the if the Islanders play the Caps and they have to play him in Barclays, the Caps win. Because Barclays is not a hockey venue at all. Barclays is a basketball venue. It is a concert venue. It is a wrestling venue. It is not a hockey venue. Block sight lines. A, fi- a crowd that doesn't really care. At all. If they play in Barclays, the Caps win that series. If they play at Nassau, the Islanders win. The Islanders win it. And I, I have no... As it stands right now, I think... The Islanders could beat the Caps in the playoffs if Holtby keeps playing so poorly in net. The Caps probably should win on paper. But if they're still throwing Holtby out there and he hasn't figured it out, they're not going to win. Because I don't. Samsonov's a rookie. I don't think he's the guy to win him a cup this year either. He probably could in the future. But this year. I don't think so. Very rare goalies help teams to Stanley Cups in their first year. Now, they have the offense to overcome bad goaltending, but I don't know how much that good that's going to do you in the playoffs. And as far as one other big storyline, this is my bias showing a little bit here. The Philadelphia Flyers are getting hot at the exact right time for them. They started off pretty slow because they schedule makers of the NHL absolutely screwed them. It's like, hey, can we can we not start the season on the West Coast this year? Sure, you don't have to start the season on the West Coast this year. You're going to start the season in Europe. Huh? And that just screwed the start of their season. It took a while to recover from it. They have they've had some injuries, obviously Oscar Lindblom getting diagnosed with cancer. Like they have had health problems up and down this roster and they're finally starting to get it together Claude Giroux has not had a great scoring season this year but everyone else Travis Konechny oddly enough Kevin Hayes Voracek Van Van Riemsdyk's been playing well lately everybody is picking it up and this is all without Carter Hart Carter Hart got injured in practice a couple weeks ago. They've been without him. He should be back relatively soon. But they're doing this with Brian Elliott and Alex Lyon. Alex Lyon got a win against Colorado, one of the one of the better teams in the NHL. Brian Elliott got a shutout against the uh well, the lowly Detroit Red Wings, but hey, it's a road win. Take them however you can get them. Play who's on your schedule. 
It's a road win, and it was their fourth game in three days. But the schedule gets easier from the, the rest of the way. The hard part of their schedule is over. So, hey, I am, I am chugging along on this Flyers train because I think they're going to do good things this year. I don't know if this year, I don't know if they're this year's St. Louis Blues because I don't think they were that bad at any point this season. But they definitely could be the surprise team that gets everyone excited that, hey, maybe we're going to have a new, a new-ish Stanley Cup winner. Obviously, they've won Stanley Cups before, but it, it was, it's not in the memory of most current NHL fans. It was a very long time ago. The, uh, it has hit 45 years since since the last Flyer Stanley Cup. So it would I would consider that new blood if they were to win the Stanley Cup this year. I'm not going to make that prediction yet because they the Flyer I have learned the Flyers tend to get me excited and then disappoint me. But I think they could do some good things in the playoffs this year and I'm excited for what they're going to do, especially once they get Carter Hart back. Because if the st- if the scoring can keep going like it has for Elliot and Lyon, an even better goaltender and a younger goaltender could really take them places. So all aboard the orange and black train because it is rolling out. And even though, I, like I said in the last segment, college basketball does have center stage for right now. The NHL's bubbling right in the background, ready to yank my attention away the second college basketball ends and carry it right through to the playoffs. It's it's oddly poetic how, how well that shakes out. But that's all I got for hockey. Hockey gods, please give us that Battle of Alberta in the first round. I will reiterate that needs to happen. But that's all I've got for the NHL. Next segment, we are going to switch it up big time and switch over to some esports after a weekend that brought a little bit of clarity to what the LCS is going to be in the spring split. That's up next here on the mashup. And we're back on the mashup got done talking some hockey and now it's time for the esports talk it is time for league of legends now this weekend in the lcs brought just a tiny bit of clarity to what i think the spring split will shape out to be the last two undefeateds have fallen dignitas and flyquest both picking up their first losses this week. Cloud9 is still undefeated. I forgot about them. But two of the three remaining undefeateds have fallen, leaving only Cloud9 sitting at the top of the standings at 4-0. As of right now, they are NA's greatest hope to do something internationally. I thought it would still be Team Liquid when the season began. Clearly, I was wrong. Because Cloud9 has played some good teams, and they are still 4-0. and 
they're the only one that's still undefeated. And sure, they played Golden Guardians. A lot of people have beaten Golden Guardians. They played 100 Thieves, who are who I think will be good. They're 2-2 two two right now, but I think 100 Thieves will be good. I am still sticking by that. But they beat Liquid. They beat Golden Guardians. They beat Immortals. And they beat 100 Thieves. Those are their four wins. So that is all right now. Other than Golden Guardians, that is everyone tied. That is three of the four teams who are currently tied for fourth. In the LCS. So, after this weekend, I think, for the most part, I've figured it out. Dignitas is still good. They absolutely choked against FlyQuest last night, but they are still a good team. Froggen was LCS Player of the Week last week. This week that went to Sven on Cloud9. Obviously, they're 4-0, and he has played very well, so he deserves that. And Dignitas are still good. They got dumpstered by FlyQuest, which just tells me, okay, FlyQuest is also legit because they dumpstered another good team. Cloud9, class the LCS right now. Until proven otherwise, they are NA's best hope to do anything at all internationally this year. I mean, sure, Liquid made finals of MSI last year, and they got crushed by G2. I want an NA team to win something internationally this year. I want Cloud9 to win MSI. I know how insane that sounds so early into the the 2020 season of League of Legends, but I want Cloud9 to win MSI this year. I don't know if they can, but they are NA's best hope to do that. By far. Because I don't think Dignitas and FlyQuest will be able to get it done internationally, and then the rest of the LCS definitely won't. At least right now. My opinion is definitely subject to change with results, but as of right now, I think Cloud9 is the class of NA. Dignitas is next. Uh, I think Team Liquid and 100 Thieves are right after them, followed by Immortals and TSM, then Evil Geniuses, then Golden Guardians, then CLG. I know there are four teams tied for fourth place right now, but I think 100 Thieves and Team Liquid will start to separate themselves from TSM and Immortals as the Spring Split rolls on. I think Evil Geniuses will pull ahead of Golden Guardians even though they are currently tied and CLG will be down the bottom. Because they have shown me nothing to tell me that they are any good this year. So they're, they're going to be staying right near... 9th or 10th place in LCS for at least the remainder of spring. They might be better in summer once they figure out team chemistry and maybe make a move or two, but no, they will be near the bottom in spring. That's that's not changing. And I think I could see any of the top five, if you want to call them that, winning spring still 
the the top five, obviously Cloud9, Dignitas, FlyQuest, 100 Thieves, and Liquid. I could see any of the top five winning the Spring Championship and going to MSI. I think Cloud9, will, as of right now, is the only one who's going to do anything there. That could change, but right now, from what I've seen, that's that's what I've got. Because Dignitas looked really good against Liquid. They did not look so good against FlyQuest last night. And that's... I don't know if that was just a one-game thing, or if that's the beginning of an actual pattern of some consistency issues. Because they lost pretty bad. They were... They were out of that game pretty early. I, they they stole Baron towards the end, but what, what did that do for them? They were already down 10 kills at that point. They couldn't really do much with the Baron. They just bought some time before the inevitable loss. So right now, that's... Week 2 brought a lot more clarity than I expected it to early in the season because I think I think this did kind of establish the tiers of teams in LCS and I think at least for a while that's going to hold I, I think Cloud9 will finish the regular season of spring on top Dignitas and FlyQuest will be right on their heels Liquid and 100 Thieves will be right after them. TSM and Immortals will be right after them. And then Evil Geniuses, Golden Guardians, and CLG will be near the bottom. So right now, that's that's how it stands in the LCS. I think overall this has shown some improvement in NA just as a region because <clears throat> other teams could at least challenge for the regional spring title because going in I thought it would just be liquid would roll to a regional championship and go to MSI right now that is not the case right now I think any of the I'm pretty confident in any of the top three and I'm reasonably confident in any of the top five. Liquid's still a part of that, but it won't be anywhere as near as easy for them as I thought it would be coming into this season. So good on UNA for finding a way to get better at league. Maybe those in-house scrims on the on the tournament server rather than just the regular NA server with its insanely high ping has done more than we thought it would to make pro play a little bit better. And if that's the case, hey, shout out to you, Riot, for figuring that out, that guys probably shouldn't be scrimming on the regular NA servers that are pretty well known to be kind of awful. So maybe NA is doing something right to get better on the international scene. Obviously we'll have to obviously we'll have to see come MSI in a couple months what 
what really is going to happen because at the the end of the spring split is still a ways off. The last scheduled games are on March 22nd. They got a way to go. They got the the rest of February and all of March. That's, and everyone plays two games a weekend. That's a long time. And that's a lot of games. So a lot could change between now and then. But right now, I think, I think we've seen what NA is going to be this year. And last game on Saturday is Cloud9 versus FlyQuest. That could be that could be a big one. And Dignitas plays Cloud9 on Sunday. So those are two big games for what NA is going to be this year because Cloud9 is playing both of their major competition as of right now this weekend. The Monday slate, kind of boring. I would think the first week after football is completely over, you would you would go a little better than Team Liquid versus Golden Guardians and Counter Logic versus Immortals. Hopefully they flex one of those Cloud9 games to Monday. Because that should be on on the bigger broadcast. That I think given the results of this week, I think you flex the the Saturday Cloud9 FlyQuest game to Monday. Replace replace Liquid and Golden Guardians with it because or no replace Immortals and CLG because CLG are bad they don't deserve the the last time slot on Monday like flex that one you built flex scheduling into it use it to to put a better game in a better time slot because it's gonna die on Saturday night. It's going to die a death on Saturday night. That should be in front of as many eyeballs as possible. And Monday at 8.30 or Monday at 9.30 is a way better spot for a game that has a lot more ramifications for what NA is going to be this year. So, Riot, I highly doubt you're listening, but uh, flex that game to Monday. You should do it. You can thank me later. But that's it for League and going to switch it back over to traditional sports and talk some NBA right after this here on the mash up don't go anywhere and welcome back the LCS finally gave us some clarity and now let's go back to the crazy of the NBA oh boy they have taken advantage of the NFL being over too the drama that has started this week, particularly in Memphis, really just in the last, you know, give it about 18 hours. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. John Morant has been talking all the trash and Dylan Brooks has been talking a lot of trash about Andre Iguodala. Because, for those who forgot, because he hasn't played a single game for them all season, Andre Iguodala is on the Memphis Grizzlies this year. He has just refused to play for them after the Warriors traded him in the offseason. 
And the younger members of the Grizzlies are not too happy about that. Dylan Brooks even said he's excited for them to trade Andre Iguodala so he can play against them and see what Memphis is really all about. Those are some big words for a guy who has not been in the NBA for a long time. Talking a lot of trash to a three-time champion. Those are those are big words, and I am here for it. As far as I know, Iguodala hasn't responded because he just doesn't care about what's going on in Memphis, and he just wants to get out so he can go to a team that is an actual contender, not just a playoff contender, which, let's be real, now that John Morant has started has adjusted to the NBA, they are. They are a playoff contender. Not a title contender by any means, but they are a playoff contender. He wants to go to a title contender. And the Grizzlies are probably going to get a pretty penny in return because he still is. He obviously doesn't want to play for them, so they don't have as much leverage. But he is still a valuable asset. He's not He's not over the hill yet. He's a little past his prime. But he's not completely over the hill yet to where he would be useless to a championship caliber team. He would be more of an accent, almost almost like he was in, in Golden State, really, especially after they picked up KD. So he is still a valuable asset to a lot of teams who would be fighting for titles. But now that this is all blowing up on, on Twitter, it gets even more interesting. Because everyone knew he wanted out of Memphis. He hasn't played for them all season. Most people would have probably forgotten he was even a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. But he's been working out. He's stayed in shape. It's not like he's just been sitting on his butt doing nothing. Like He knows eventually the Grizzlies will trade him and get something in return. Hopefully they get a, a decent enough return. Maybe, maybe some draft capital. Maybe... Maybe a younger guy or two who isn't doing much with this championship team and they who have a young core established. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. I I think he's gone. The the trade deadline's in two days, so I I know he's going somewhere. It's just a matter of of where he goes. I kinda want it to be in the West. Just so he does have to play against the Grizzlies a couple times. Like, obviously, don't trade him back to the Warriors because the Warriors aren't going to take him back because they're terrible this year with with all the injuries. So it's a matter of, and I think the Lakers are fine without him. Let's let's check the standings. See who could who could benefit. I think the Bucks and the Lakers are both fine without him. Toronto's probably fine without him. Miami and Indiana are interesting as far as the East goes. He wouldn't help Philly because they, they need a guard. They don't need another forward. Denver and Utah wouldn't need him. Houston, that could... That could be interesting. I don't know how long, how well he'd uh, he'd play with Chris Paul and James Harden. Dallas, they wouldn't need him. 
Okay, C, maybe. Actually, that would be... That would be an interesting trade if they traded him to OKC. Now, I don't know if if Memphis would want to keep him in the West. I think I think a trade partner in the East is a better choice. I keep I keep coming back to Indiana because they've been solid all year. They got Oladipo back and he's playing really well. But most of their good players are guards. So getting in a forward like like Iguodala could really help this team. Actually, yeah, looking at their roster, that wouldn't be a terrible trade. I don't know what they'd give up. They'd probably have to give up some some draft capital if they if they were to get him they would probably have to give up some a lot of picks and maybe a player or two maybe maybe Sabonis you could see them trading Sabonis that wouldn't be that wouldn't be an awful that wouldn't be an awful trade hmm yeah i i could see I could see Indiana doing it. I don't know if they have the pieces. Miami, also interesting, but same problem. I don't know what they have to really make that trade. I don't think they want to trade Tyler Hero. They definitely don't want to trade Bam or Jimmy Butler because that's their core. I don't think they want to trade Dragic. Maybe Haslam. Yeah, I've, that's the thing. Who has the pieces to make that trade happen? Because I know Iguodala's value will drop a little bit because he is getting older and the Grizzlies have no leverage because it's not like he's going to play for them. So that drops the, the trade value a little bit more. But if they could make it work, Indiana would be a really good fit because they have the guards. They just need someone to fill in the in-between and Iguodala is a Iguodala is not a bad choice it's not a bad choice for Miami either I just don't know how they get that trade done but that's that's right now where I could where I could see him going Boston could be in that mix too but I think they want I think they want Clint Capella That's 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 my take. I think I think Boston's more in on Clint Capella rather than rather than um, Iguodala. So that hmm. the the NBA trade deadline is interesting because there are some teams that just won't make moves at all. I think the Lakers and the Bucks are going to stay put. The Clippers might make a move or two, but they're pretty solid. Denver, Denver's pretty solid. Same with the Jazz. The Rockets weren't even expected to be in this position. Same with OKC. 
Dallas has a lot of young guys who I think they don't want to mess with. They don't want to mess with the core they have to try to compete now when they're going to be good for years to come. So I don't think... I don't think Iguodala goes to the West. I think I think he goes to the East. Yeah, he definitely goes to the East because the, the Grizzlies aren't going to want to trade him to a direct competitor because they're fighting for a playoff spot too. So hopefully... Hopefully we get a resolution to that one soon because I'm, I'm definitely interested to see where he goes. I... As much as I appreciate his time in Philly, I definitely don't want him to come back to Philly because, my God, they need a guard. And nowhere was that more evident than last night in Miami. Whew! That was awful. That was absolutely awful. That was one of the worst Sixers performances I've ever seen, and that includes the process. When they were just intentionally terrible... So yeah, that's that's how I'm feeling about uh about that team after that embarrassment last night they showed in Miami where they were just lazy on defense. Jimmy Butler was hitting threes where he's been absolutely terrible his last couple games. I think it was he is not shooting nine percent from three in his last fifteen games. Nine percent, and he just torched the Sixers defense. And there was nothing they could do to stop him. Ben Simmons is supposed to be a good defender, but Jimmy Butler just owned him. Embiid got injured. That that performance in Miami last night was an absolute mess. Like, I don't know what's going on in Philly, but some heads need to roll after that one. They are terrible on the road. That was an awful road trip. And they, and they lost some games. They probably should have won on that road trip. I don't know what got into them with suddenly not being good. Cause they, let's be honest, they haven't been good on the road all season, but they haven't been this bad. They haven't been this absolutely terrible. Just blown out by the Celtics who are better than them blown out by the heat lose on the road to the Hawks. Yet, a week ago, less than a, just over a week ago, you beat the Lakers at home by 17. And then you go on the road and you lose to the Hawks by 10. You get blown out by the Celtics and you get blown out by the Heat. 21 and 31. 21 and 31 points in back-to-back games. And, net. And on Thursday, they play the Bucks. Woo! Oh man, that's gonna be that's gonna be bad. That's gonna be an ugly loss, guaranteed. They come home and they have a they have a couple of reasonably easy games at home after that, but right now my faith in that team is shattered. They played horribly last night, and I don't know what to do to fix it. I have no clue what to do to fix it because I thought that team was supposed to be good. But they need some better guard play. 
They need something. Because whatever that was last night and whatever that was the past couple games, where you're losing to the Hawks, you're losing to the... You're getting blown out by the Celtics. Getting even more blown out by the Heat. Something needs to change with that team, and I have no clue what. Because there are just certain games where everyone else but Joel Embiid forgets how to play basketball, and they lose those bad. The games when Joel forgets how to play, they lose even worse. I don't know why they're so bad on the road this year. Maybe it's finally time for Brett Brown to go. He was obviously the process coach, and maybe he's just not the guy to win with this team. Maybe it needs to go even higher up. Maybe Elton Brand needs to go too and get someone in who can who can build a, a better roster. Because I know they were forced to hire Colangelo and he messed everything up with all his stupid burner accounts. And Sam Henke set all this up. But I thought Elton Brand was actually okay as a GM. This trade deadline coming up will decide my my real feelings for him as as Sixers GM. Because right now I don't have much faith in that team. Like I saw it all over Twitter. Like time to hit the panic button on the Sixers. And the Flyers fans were all saying like, "Hey, we have we have room in the lifeboats. Come over to the orange and black." Like it's it's getting bad in in Sixers world. And they need to do something about it, and they need to do something about it soon. Because if this keeps up, the process will have been a total failure. The process was suck for three years and use the draft picks you you accumulate to win a title. They're even they were close last year. They're even further from the title this year. Because they missed out on winning the Eastern Conference by one of the luck one of the most insane three-pointers I've ever seen. And then they probably could have won the title last year had they won the Eastern Conference. Cuz based on what the Warriors did in the playoffs last year, the Sixers could have beaten them. Last year's Sixers, obviously not this year's. They were that close to winning a title last year, and now they're the sixth seed in the East. They're losing road games. They're getting blown out by the Hawks. I don't know what's wrong, but something needs to change. Sixers, get it together. Because the process is is looking less and less like a success with every passing year. Get it together. That's all I got for the NBA. One more segment left on today's show. Talking some Overwatch League here on the mashup. And it is the final segment of the Tuesday show. We are talking some Overwatch League. They kick off this weekend after a long long wait and i think i've said it many times on the show season three is huge for overwatch league season three is massive 
for what Overwatch League wants to accomplish. And for the most part, I think they're going to be able to do it. With home events, I think that will be just enough to propel the league into where they want to be. I I legitimately think that. And I really wouldn't be surprised at all if this is a very good season for for the Overwatch League just as a whole. And for the most part, looking at various different preseason power rankings, the consensus is the Boston Uprising are going to be absolutely awful. I would have to agree. They blew up their entire roster again, and it's a bunch of new faces and a new coaching staff, and I don't think they're going to do all that much this year. I think the teams who have figured out their chemistry are going to just dominate Boston. Obviously, the favorite coming into the season, consensus favorite across the board, has to be San Francisco. Like, they are an absolutely stacked team. Sinatra was World Cup MVP. He's going to be even better now. Like, they're... They're just... They're just that... They're just that good. Like, they are... They're just going to be that good this year. They've got they've got some new colors and they're and they're just ready to go. And most of their core, Super Sinatra and Moth were the core of Team USA. So, I don't see why anything should change about San Francisco Shock being the odds-on favorite to be champions this year. Especially now with with goats firmly removed from the meta just entirely. They're they're pretty much guaranteed to be one of the better teams this year. Probably the best. Just because they have a really good roster. Like this is there is a lot of talent here. And it says a lot that they are entirely Korean outside of maybe the three best Americans in the game. Between Super, Sinatra, and Moth. Like, who else do you need when you have, and I can't believe I'm saying this, the best player in the world? Yes, the best player in the world is an American. That's that's definitely new. That's that's definitely a new thing that the best player in the world in an esport that is not Call of Duty or Fortnite is American. So San Francisco Shock easily probably going to be the best team in the league this year. The NYXL still no surprise. Atlanta Rain same thing. They've got a really good roster. Shanghai, Shanghai, you guys did it. You guys turned around being maybe the worst team in the history of organized competition ever. Not even just esports. All of sports. 
No team has gone 0 and 40. Except for the 2018 Shanghai Dragons. And now they're a title contender. You could have fooled me at the beginning of last year. <laughs> but they they obviously completely rebuild their roster. And they are so much better. And I'm legitimately really impressed. And this is uh, based on the game house's power rankings. I'm just giving my opinion on what they have. Uh, Philadelphia Fusion are five. My bias aside, I think that's a good spot for them. I would almost put them a little lower just because they were so disappointing last year and they still don't have a new main tank. Like I really, I really don't trust Sato as main tank, like at all. He, he is a liability at main tank. Like I can, I can say that like Sato is a liability on tank. The rest of the team around him is really good. Carpe's sticking around. EQO is back. They signed Chipsa, which should be very interesting whenever Doomfist isn't banned. And if Doomfist is ever a, like, is still really strong, that could lead to some fun, because Chips is a bit of a Doomfist one-trick, but he's really good at it. And for the most part, they kept... They kept a lot of their their original they kept a lot of their old roster actually like everyone kind of thought that that EQO was gone and they they kind of uh they kind of they kind of baited everybody to thinking that oh he might he might leave but now he is he is sticking around and as far as as far as the rest of the team goes like they've they've did they've done kind of the necessary amount of shakeups and keeping it the same like they they've done a they've done a good job like poco's coming back boombox is coming back EQO, Fury and Alarm, that's, that's the interesting thing. Like, Fury is, Fury could be a nice change of pace at tank. Alarm's a ridiculously good support. Funny Astro, I'll be honest, I don't know too much about him, but I think if they signed him, they at least saw something there. And Chips, uh, the Doomfist one trick. If Doomfist is ever meta, sure, why not? <laughs> like, sure, go for it. Because, really, he could have some fun. He could have some some real fun with that. And... I mean, that's the thing. He doesn't actually have to do that much because Carpe and EQO are on this team. Carpe's been overtaken as 
the best DPS in the world, in my opinion, by Sinatra. I think Sinatra is the best DPS player in the world. And then that is not just my, I want American esports to be better bias. I think that is actually the truth. Poco, still a ridiculously good tank. Like, looking at this roster, from what I can see, Sato is still the only weak point. If they could... If they could make a trade and get a better tank, I don't know who you would have to trade to do it. There's probably a free agent tank out there that's better than Sato. Or there's like a contenders player who hasn't been getting enough looks. Like, there has to be someone better than... Like, there, there just has to be someone better than Sato, because, like I said, he is a liability to the tank line of the Philadelphia Fusion. And hopefully, they make a change before the end of the season, because if they make a change, I would move them up higher than fifth. Right now, I have them lower than fifth. I, I think, accurately, I would put them about seventh right now if they don't change that glaring weakness at tank. If they change that, they're three. If they don't, they're seven. Like that's that's how big a difference I think Sato makes to this team in a negative way. He'd be a solid backup, but for the most part, like he is not an Overwatch level an Overwatch League level starting main tank. He's just not. He's proven that. And with hero pools, that's going to expose him even more. Because if Winston gets banned out, well, he's screwed. He's only good at Winston. He can't play Reinhardt. He can't play Arissa. We've seen that. So they need to make a change at tank. Poco's fine, but Sato needs to go. As far as the rest of these, yeah, I would flip-flop... Um, I would move Vancouver up to six or Vancouver six on this list. I would move them up to five soul up to six and Philly down to seven because I, I really just don't trust Sato. The gladiators. I think they're right about where they should be. I think they're just above middle of the road. Same with the charge. They've, they've made some good, they made some good changes. Like they they picked up Neptuno. That's a good pickup for them. And I could see them finishing a little bit higher than middle of the pack. Same thing with Justice. I think they're I think the dominance of Goats meta in 2019 absolutely screwed them. They were not a Goats team and that was very clear in stage 4 when Roll lock was introduced and goats just wasn't possible to be played anymore. And you had to play overwatch. Like it was meant to be played two tanks, two supports, two DPS. They went six and one in stage four. It was too late to salvage their season. But if the entire 2019 season was played under roll lock, they probably would have been a playoff team. I don't think they would have beaten San Francisco. They might not have even won a playoff series, but they would have made the playoffs. That I know that's a bold prediction for a year ago, but I think if 
just based on how they played in stage four. If roll lock was introduced before the season started, Washington justice would have been a playoff team. And I think this year they will be because even though the core of team USA is on shock, Corey was still a key piece to that world cup win. And guess who he plays for the Washington justice. So yeah, I think they're better than 10th Houston. That's that one's interesting because they've lost a lot. They've lost a lot of, of good talent. I think, and they kind of revamped everything. So I think, I think 11's a decent spot for them, but it could go either way. They could be, they could be pretty bad this year, or they could be much better than middle of the road. Hangzhou and Chengdu, they're not going to be going home for a while. <laughs> Poor guys. But they have they have decent enough teams. I don't think they're going to be too much of a threat to win the championship this year. I think I think they need some time to uh, really really figure out what their identity is. Some of the some of the other teams that are higher up in the rankings are original teams, and the the season two expansion teams are lower, which isn't a surprise. And the original teams that are lower are just the teams that, that blow it up. Toronto's down near the bottom because they they blew everything up. They they brought in Scherfer, who is who is Canadian, which will will definitely uh, draw some fan support having a having a home a hometown ish guy on the team. But I don't think same thing. I think they'll be I think they'll be right around the same spot they were last year, which was not terrible, but not amazing either. And and now you're you're now on this list. You're starting to get to the bad teams. Florida Mayhem. They have nice new jerseys. I love the Miami Neon, but I don't think they're going to be that good this year. Paris, they're they're a mess. I don't think they have. I don't think they have too much of uh, of a chance to really do anything. Dallas Fuel, they've they've been a bit of a dumpster fire the entire time they've existed. Team chemistry issues, coaching issues, communication issues, player suspensions. I know a lot of that has a lot of those people have been taken care of, but until they show me otherwise, I'm still going to consider them a mess. London Spitfire. London is going to be a travel nightmare because of who is in their division. And I think that'll do a number on them. That's, that's a similar problem. Toronto is going to have like, it's like London are playing this weekend in New York. I think New York and Boston are going to have an advantage over the teams coming from Toronto, Dallas, Paris, and London. Or Dallas isn't going to be there, but Toronto, Paris, and London are going to be at a distinct disadvantage to teams from New York and Boston because that is much less travel time. The Valiant, same thing. 
they lost a lot of talent. A lot of talent retired. And they... And they didn't... They signed contenders players to fill in those gaps. That's not enough. I think this is going to be a... This is going to be a pretty bad year for the Valiant. And Boston Uprising, pretty much the consensus dead last team. Bob Kraft needs to... Stop trying to run this team directly. The Kraft, the Kraft family should not be running this team directly because they just blow it up every year. They need to find a partner to help run this team for them because they're not doing a great job of running it directly. And I think Boston will be... Boston Uprising will be pretty terrible this year. It's It's all new faces. It's very little previous Overwatch League talent. It's it's a very craft family way of doing things because it it works so well with the Patriots. But it doesn't work like that in esports, not usually. Unless they really did figure it out and found some hidden gems that no one else knew about. I don't think it's going to be a good season for the Boston Uprising. I just don't. And even if it's just an esports, Boston needs some needs some humility. I know the Red Sox are going to give them plenty this year because the Red Sox won't be that good. But the more Boston teams that lose, the better. Especially a team that is owned by the Kraft family, even if they don't really know what's going on with them. But that's it for... Today's show, I will have more on Overwatch League on Friday, the the day the day before the season kicks off. That kicks off this weekend. That's a stacked stacked weekend of esports because Call of Duty's kicking off from London this weekend. So those matches are going to be very early in the morning, pretty much anywhere in America. I think the first one is at like 6.30 East Coast time. Oh, that's going to be fun. That is way too early. That is way too early to be be watching Call of Duty. And then the Overwatch games are uh, that night. It'll be weird watching Overwatch on YouTube. I'm so used to watching it on Twitch. But, like I've said on the show previously, I think that's a good move for them. Just because it will get... I think it'll get more eyes on the product because there are going to be kids watching Overwatch content and YouTube is going to funnel them. YouTube's algorithm, it won't even be people actively doing this. YouTube's algorithm will just funnel them to Overwatch content with the most views and that'll be Overwatch League. So I think even though it was mostly money motivated, I think that'll do good things for the league and get more eyeballs on it. But that is it for today's show. I will be back on Friday with more weirdness, essentially this weird mix of sports and esports that you guys are so amazing to listen to. If you want to support the show a little bit more, I do have a Patreon. I'll tweet that out, obviously, like I always do. And I've I've mentioned the benefits before, but for the lower tier, you get your name in the description of every episode for the higher tier i'll give you an actual shout out here in this segment at the end of the show but that's it for today's episode i hope you guys 
Have a good rest of the week, and I will talk to you on Friday. Hope you enjoy.